We're going to be talking about fresh and local in January. And if you um, read the, the description, I tried to make it clear that we're not talking about growing in a heated hoop house. That's a, that's a whole different subject. What we're talking about is um, the how-to for low technology, low capital investment winter growing. That, by the way, is our strawberry field in, in April. <laughs> we're, we're protecting the strawberries, actually, by, by running the sprinklers on them. Okay, so I'm going to be talking about four basic issues for growing on the backside of the garden calendar. We're going to be talking about latitude, timing, crop and variety selection, and protection. And basically, all I have time to do here is just let you know what's significant about each of these things. But I can't, we don't have time to go into details on, on any of them, really. That's my wife, by the way, um, harvesting some greens there in that picture. So this is a picture of our farm. We are located almost smack dab in the middle of Tennessee, um, east, west, north, and south. We're about an hour southwest of Nashville. Um, you can see the countryside is gently rolling. Um, our farm is using land that some, most of it's owned by my, my folks, and uh, I own a little bit. And um, altogether, we have about 200 acres and we're actually cultivating about seven of those acres. Um, what, what you see here is probably about just a little over half of what we're cultivating, what you see in that picture. Basically, just these fields here and these hoop houses. And then we, we have some fields back here that we've been growing in. This is a, a little bit of an older picture. And we have a, a three more hoop houses over here. So our, our farm was started in 1998 by my brother John and his wife. They started by growing organic strawberries in, in 2000 and they, their goal was to make a living off the land growing strawberries. In 2003, they had a bumper crop. This was their, their largest crop, and they had actually taken out a mortgage to, in order to you know, make the investments that they needed to really, they realized they, they had to make more investment to really make it work. And so they, they did that and put in a, an acre and a half, and it was rained out. They, they basically just barely made their costs. So, the question is, what do we do next? <laughs> and so um, in order to survive, John went to his Elliot Coleman books and he started our, our first winter CSA. So, you know, the strawberries, you know, the season finished in June. It, it finishes in June for us. And um, that's not time enough to get a summer garden in, but it is time enough to get a, a winter garden in. And so, uh, he um, started our first winter CSA with, with 12 subscribers. Um, my family, so my family joined, the, joined John in 2006. And um, we're now in our 17th winter season, growing, growing produce through the winter. And um, so we, we started market gardening by growing winter produce. And just about, um, I think it was about five years ago, we, we got into growing summer produce too. We kind of do things backwards at our place. But <laughs> All right, latitude. What is latitude? I'm not talking about giving someone space here. <laughs> position. You know, when you look at maps, there are these lines that go up, you know, across and, and up and down. Latitude are the ones going across. 
Now, latitude has significance to, to winter farming. Sorry, I don't know why. Okay. Latitude is important to winter farming because it determines your day, your day length. Do you understand that? Okay, if you've studied geography a little bit in school, you remember. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, the, the, the lower your latitude, the, the shorter your day length is um, year round in general. The higher you go, the shorter your winters are and the longer your summers are. But, you know, as you, as you, as you move down, then, then you don't get those really long days. You get, it's, it's, it just moderates things until you get to the equator and, and you have a 12-hour day year-round. Okay, so what's, what's crucial for winter growing is that day length, not temperature, is the principal deciding factor and what can and cannot be grown through the winter. Okay? So it's, it's day length that's, that's the crucial factor. So where, where we are in Tennessee, we're on about the 35th parallel. And if you, follow, if you were to follow that parallel going east, it would, it would, um, it would enter into northern Africa in Morocco, and it would go through the northern part of Algeria and Tunisia, and then it heads out across the Mediterranean, right through the island of Crete and the island of Cyprus, and on into Syria. So we're talking about Mediterranean, Mediterranean climate. What kind of things do they grow around the Mediterranean? Olives, Olives yeah. Pardon? Figs, yeah. So. Theoretically, we can do those kinds of things where we are. The, the issue is that our temperatures are colder. We do have the, we have the day length, but we have colder temperatures. And so the idea is, is that if you, can, if you can provide some protection, you can grow similar things, okay? Now, um, I'm, I'm going to put a little caveat on this because I'm, I'm not totally convinced that, and, and I'm going to be talking about it more later too, I'm not totally convinced that, um, that the, the very simple kind of protection we're doing um, would provide all you need simply because although our, maybe our, our average you know, winter temperatures would... Um, how do I say it? Anyway, it, the, the, the issue is, is that, that we have these irregular deep freezes that come to us. And, and they're the issue, I think, in, in being, you know, where you, you wouldn't normally have them, but every once in a while they come and they would take out you know, what, you, what you're trying to protect with just the simple protection I'm talking about. And I'm, I'm thinking particularly of trees. I haven't tried growing trees, you know, olives or lemons or, you know, things like that. I, I, I'm thinking it could be possible if you had something, some sort of a um, passive solar, you know, um, thing like water, barrels of water or something like that. That would, that would kind of moderate those, those temperatures, but I haven't tried that yet. So, okay, timing is critical for winter growing. So we're, we're, we're talking about timing now. That's the next factor. Um, as, as the days get shorter, um, we enter what, what winter growers have, have coined as the Persephone period. And that's when day length reaches 10 hours or less. And what, what we've noticed is that when, when day length reaches 10 hours or less, your plants pretty much stop growing. Okay, so that's kind of the, the critical issue there. So now, not every plant will actually stop growing. Um, some of the ones that I've seen that are most sensitive are, are ones like beets and chard. 
they, they really seem to, um, when, when we get to that 10 hours, they pretty much stop growing. Um, kale doesn't grow very much either. It, it, if it grows, it's very slow. It's interesting that collards seem to continue growing at a faster rate than kale. Um, spinach will continue to grow some and lettuce will continue to grow some. Um, but the, the issue is, is that all of them are slowing way down, okay? So your, your days to maturity are just lengthening by, by big amounts. Um, so there are, I didn't think to put this in. There, you can, you can um, just do a Google search on the internet for, um, for there are charts where you can, where you can find day length, um, you know, for, for your latitude. You, you can find out what your latitude is and then you can find these charts that, that will give you day length for your latitude. And so for us, this Persephone period is from about November 26 to January 16. So the, the, the challenge for the grower is to have your crops um, at maturity or, or almost at maturity as you, as you enter into the Persephone period. You got me? And so then you can be harvesting off of them, but you know, you're not expecting them to be growing for you during that time. So I'll, I'll say here that, you know, while we're talking about this, that the most difficult time period, we've, we've found the most difficult time period to have crops ready for market is actually the months of, of March and April. Why is that? Because we can, we, can, we can bring crops up to maturity, you know, for harvest through December and January, and you know, we, we're harvesting them right through even into February. But, but to have crops that are ready to harvest in March is very difficult because they had to be started back in that Persephone period, actually back towards the beginning of that Persephone period. And so they're just sitting in the ground basically as, as little seedlings, you know, not doing hardly anything and you've got to be babying them all through that period. It's, it's just a, a very long time to have these little plants. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. All right. So. Um, for example, with a you know, there, there are a lot of crops that have a normal days to maturity of 40 to 50 days. And, and so that's what we're looking at on this chart here. So if you were to, to plant one of those in, in early September um, with that normal 40 to 50 day days to maturity, you'll be harvesting it towards the end of October. If you plant that same plant in early October, you're going to be looking at harvesting it in January. If you plant that same plant in early November, you're going to be looking at harvesting it in late February. Okay, so you, you see what's happening here. Um, this is another one where I'm act, I've actually put on there the average number of, the, the approximate number of days so planting it in, in early September and harvesting it in, in the end of October is 60 days. So we've, the, the days to maturity has, has lengthened, you know, 10 or, 10 or 20 days, um, by even, in, you know, in, in September. So in, it's in August that the, the days to maturity, towards the end of August, that it starts to go up. And so early September, it's already a few more days. Um, so if you plant it in early October, we're looking at about 90 days to maturity. If you plant it in early November, we're looking at about 120 days to maturity. And what, what I want you to, to notice here, it's not a, this is not a normal bell curve. You know, we're, we're used to seeing these bell curves that are symmetrical. This is not symmetrical. 
um, it, the, the days to maturity is climbing very steeply during the month of September. Um, from actually from the, it starts climbing the, the end of August and it climbs very steeply during the month of September. And, and then in October, it starts to, to taper off. And, and by the time we get to, to November, it's kind of plateaued. November, well, you know, as you, as you enter that Persephone period, it, it plateaus. And, um, and then in, in January, it starts gradually coming down. It comes down, it doesn't come down as steep as it went up. So it, it just climbs very steeply in September and then it goes down kind of gradually on the other side. Yeah, so you see um, both, if, if you're planting in early November or December, you have 120 days each, but in January, it's 105, February, it's 90, March, it's 60. So you're, you're going down less steeply, yes. You can. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm specifically talking about very um, low technology, low cost ways that we can do it. You can, you can add lights, you can add heat, you can add lots of things and, and you'll improve your results. But, um, you know, we're, we're looking at doing something very cheap and simple, which is what we can afford. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be talking about covers in, in, in just a minute. Okay, so um, crop variety and selection. So obviously growing this way without heat, we're not doing tomatoes or cucumbers or green beans. Is that clear? And um, what, if, you, if you think about the, the winter season versus the summer season, um, a key a key thing, a key difference is that during the winter, most of your crops are going to be leaves and roots, okay? And during the summer, um, the bulk of your, your summer crops are, are fruits, you know, speaking of fruits in, the, in, a, in a technical sense, considering, you know, green beans, fruits, it's the, you know, the fruiting part of the, the plant that you're eating. So, um, what, what do we actually grow? I'm, this, this slide has been a problem for me, but I'm, I'll try to read it. Uh, and there, when, I, when I started growing in the winter, I was introduced to all kinds of things I'd never heard of before. There is, there is a much wider variety of leaves and roots <laughs> than I thought possible. So, um, so we grow all different kinds of lettuce. You know, there's, there's romaine lettuce, there's leaf lettuce, there's mini heads, there's butter heads, there's oak leaf, there's, there's just all different kinds of lettuce. And, and each of those different kinds tends to have a, a, a red and a green and, um, sometimes a bronze in between, and, and I, I like growing all the different kinds so that we can, you know, it makes salads really interesting to have all these different colors and leaf textures and, and shapes. Uh, and chicory, do you know what chicory is? That's, that's really a family, kind of like lettuce is a family. Chicory are, um, dandelion is a chicory. Okay, but then um, there's another very common chicory that most people you, you know it, but you don't know it. And that's called radicchio. You know, when you buy a salad mix and it has these little pieces of purple in it, that's the radicchio. And the, what's characteristic about, about the chicories is they, they, they have a bitter flavor. They're, they're good for seasoning a salad. They, they, they give a salad more, more body and, and flavor, but... Um, not everyone's, they're not everyone's favorite on their own. At least um, American palates aren't used to them. Europeans love them. But um, there, there are some chicories like, like uh, escarole is, is very good in white bean soup, for example. And there, there are different things like that. 
Then there are, there are other salad greens like mosh, arugula, cress. Per, I, I said Persian cress here, but there's um, you know, regular water cress too, and claytonia, or miner's lettuce, a different name for it, minutina, and, and several others. Do you all know what mosh is? Corn flour, corn salad, yeah. That, um, it's actually an American weed that, that went to Europe and, and got upscaled. <laughs> and and um, in France particularly, it's, it's, a, it's a really hot green. They, they eat a lot of it actually. And, and it, it's a very nice one. It has a very, you know, it's not like the, the chicories. It, it has a very mild, kind of a rich flavor. Um, I, I, I like it very much. In fact, that, first, that very first picture, um, you saw a hand with a little green plant in it. That was mosh. Um, and then um, miner's lettuce. That's also an American weed that went to Europe and kind of got upgraded. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of Asian greens, all different kinds of Asian greens. Um, you know, the mustard greens, there's just all different kinds of mustard greens and colors and, and leaf textures and shapes and um, from yellow to green to red. And, and then there's the things like bok choy and, and tatsoi and um, Tokyo Bacana, Yukina Savoy, Mizuna and Mebuna, and uh, uh, there's just all different kinds of, a whole f family of greens there. And those are, um, a lot of those can be grown on their own or um, grown in, in as, as baby greens in mixes, and they're very nice that way. Um, there's Chinese cabbage, of course, too. By the way, um, we were looking at a study that, that was looking at nutrient values of different vegetables, and Chinese cabbage actually came out as, as number two. <laughs> it's very high, and in, 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 in just this study was looking at, I think, about 16 different items that you, know, you could rate vegetables on, and, and they rated Chinese cabbage way up there. I, I had no idea. Um, and then, there are, then there's the brassica family. That, that includes cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, collards, broccoli, cauliflower, kohlrabi, all of, all of that family. Do you all know what kohlrabi is? Okay, it's a, it's a big round stem. It's not a root, it's a stem. That, um, it's really nice. It's a little bit like um, jicama for, for Latinos, you know, if you're familiar with that. Um, oh, <laughs> okay, that's why I'm not seeing it very well. <laughs> okay. All right, and then there are, the, there are the roots. Things like beets and turnips and rutabagas. All, there are all different kinds of radishes. And then we grow carrots, carrots, and more carrots. <laughs> we, we love carrots. And the, what, what, is, what is really nice about winter carrots is that they are the sweetest carrots you'll find. They are the, there is something about the cold that, that sweetens them up and, and, and brings out the sugars in them. And you, you've never had a carrot until you've had a winter carrot. And what we found, um, you might want to take note of this, is that we have a window of about 10 days in, in late August. I'm talking about, you know, like the, the, last, the last week or, you know, into the, into the third week through the, the end of August is a window that we found to be right for seeding carrots for us. And it, when we seed carrots in that, in that window, from about the second week in November through March, we are harvesting those carrots out of our field. They, they're, they're, they're almost mature on the sec, in, in the second week of November. And then we're harvesting them fresh out of our field all winter long. 
If we get them in before that, they tend to get too big, and if we get them in after that, they don't quite get big enough. Now, I will say that this year, I'm doing an experiment. Last year, I tried growing some in a, in a greenhouse, in a, in a hoop house, and um, they did well, but they grew a lot faster than out in the field. And so I'm, I'm trying it again this year, and I actually started them one month late. And so we're gonna see how that works. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really pleased with, with how they're growing so far. Yes? The, yeah, the, the window? It's, it's the, the last, right at the end of, of uh, about the last 10 days of August. So like 20th so, 30th? Something like that, yeah. Pardon? What variety? You know, I, we have found that Bolero works very good for us. As a, it's a storage carrot and it, it works good, you know, storing it in the ground and, you know, as we harvest it. Um, you might want to experiment with different ones. The Bolero is not the variety that Elliot Coleman up in Maine, um, you know, that's not his favorite. He, he uses, I think it's Napoli is, is the one he likes. So I think it does make some difference where you are, which, which variety might do best for you. Yeah. So you plant your carrots right in the ground and then they're ready to harvest in the spring? You don't have hoop house over them or covering? We, we don't put a hoop house over them. We, we, have, we use a floating row cover okay. over them. To, and we'll, we'll just usually keep the, a single floating row cover layer over them all winter long. But when it's getting really cold, We'll, we'll put a second one on. Otherwise, they tend to get frozen shoulders. And um, the, the frozen shoulders are, are, are soft. They're, they're just not so nice. We, you'd like to cut them off if you're going to eat them. Like floating, row? floating row cover. I'm, I'm going to talk more about that. Yeah. Yes. Um, if it's going to be probably from the mid-teens or less, yes. That's a good question, yeah. Um, we, we, we like to keep the hoop house for, for lettuce, for chicory, for, for baby greens, for, um, I, didn't, I didn't get in this last group here, for Swiss chard, um, we have grown Swiss chard outside also, but it, it's, it's nicer inside. Yes. Um, baby greens are, they, they can be anything just about. Um, they, they can be anything from the, the brassica family and uh, anything from the Asian green family. And a, a number of these European greens, um, even beet greens. Uh, basic, the, the idea is that you're, you're, you're seeding these, um, these seeds very close together and, and you let them grow to about this tall and then you cut them. And so they're really good as salad or, um, or some of the, like the, the brassicas and, and Asian greens, some of those we, we do what we call a braising mix that you just, you know, lightly braise and yeah. Miscellaneous like spinach, Swiss chard, celery, celeriac, fennel, artichoke, um, scallions, leeks, herbs, etc. So, so you can grow those or can we yeah, these are all things that we have grown through the winter. Now um, I want to be clear on not not all of these will, will actually grow all the way through the winter. For example, broccoli and cauliflower, um, the, the plants are hardy, but the, the heads that you're wanting to harvest are not hardy. And so we, we try to do those for, for November, maybe even the, the early part of December, we can keep them protected, but to try to take them all the way through the winter is a challenge. I've, ne I've never tried to do that actually. If, if, the, if they get frozen, um, you've lost them, basically. So what, 
I mean, what we did one time, we, we accidentally, we thought we had a, um, a whole, you know, 240 foot row of broccoli. We thought we had it covered. And I mean, we did have it covered, but we had forgotten to put the sandbags on it. And the cover blew off in the night and the temperature dropped. And so we came out in the morning to frozen broccoli. And so we just, we, we cut it all immediately and put it in the freezer <laughs> and gave it to our customers frozen. They got frozen broccoli that year. So, um, yeah, I, most of these other things you can actually, artichokes are, are very um, finicky and you know, I, I put it there, but we have not had good success with them. When I say we've not had good success, it's, it's like on, on a good year, we might get 50% of our artichokes all the way through. So we've actually stopped trying to grow them, uh, you know, on a, for market at least. Uh, it's not really worth it for us. These are, these are the, the globe artichokes, yeah. Now, Jerusalem artichokes are, are a totally different thing and, and they, yeah, it's a root. And those are, that's, they are a very good winter crop. Um, we, we have some of those that we harvested, I think last February, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah we dug them up in February and that was great. Do Jerusalem artichokes do not need to be covered. The other ones, like I said, they're very um, tender and yeah, they need, they need a lot of protection. Yeah. You, you don't want to plant them where you might not want them permanently. <laughs> so. You don't want them to spread too much. You might yeah. have to it tastes exactly like artichoke. So we might have They're, to the, the last day. The, the, roots, <laughs> the roots look a little bit like ginger roots. Yeah. And, but, uh, and they have a... This is Jerusalem artichoke? Yeah, Jerusalem artichoke. Yeah, Edwin likes to pressure wash them. April, I'd say, yeah, yeah, as soon as the ground thaws. We actually did ours in, it was later, I think it was in May that we got them in. I think they're the most forgiving thing you can Yeah, they're, they're very forgiving. I would recommend trying to get them in on the early side, but, you know, we, we didn't, and it worked. Okay, um, going, going to the, the last part, protection. The last, um, so we, we're looking at latitude, timing, variety selection, and then protection. Um, so before we get further in protection, I want to clarify what we're talking about, because there, there are a lot of names that are kind of thrown around out there. Hoop house, high tunnel, cold frame, high hoops, low hoops, uh, and, and greenhouse. The, the difference between all of these things that I've said and, and a greenhouse is that the greenhouse has a heat source. It has a, an, an internal source of heat that's heating it. Whereas these other things are just protective structures that have no heat source inside them. Okay, is that clear? So on our farm, we have one greenhouse that um, we just use in the spring to, to help get our tomatoes out so that we can have early tomatoes. But um, we, don't, we don't use it for actually growing the winter produce that we're growing. Yes. The greenhouse, do you have the artificial heat source? Yes, yes. So, when we're talking about protection, we're, we're talking about two basic materials. One is plastic, and the other is floating row covers. The plastic we use is, is greenhouse plastic. It's six millimeter thick, and it, it, it usually comes with a four-year guarantee, and um, it doesn't necessarily have to have what I call an anti-condensant film but we, we like to buy plastic that has that. What, um, if, you, if you buy, if you try to just use any plastic, 
Chances are it's not going to hold up very long. It'll break down quickly. Um, it might not let all the UV, UV rays through that, that you want and need. Um, you know, I, just, I don't recommend trying to use some kind of plastic that's not a greenhouse plastic. Um, the anti-condensate film allows the, the condensation that will, that will collect on the, on the underside of your plastic. Um, you'll just get all these little water droplets in there and they, they actually reduce the light that can come into your, your greenhouse. The anti-condensate film prevents those drops from beating. It makes them disperse on the plastic and, and, and just kind of run off. And, and that allows more light in. And so we, we prefer to use that kind of greenhouse film. If you didn't have that type of plastic, is there some type of way of spraying that film on it? I'm not sure. I mean, I, if, if, you don't, if you already have plastic and it doesn't have that, I wouldn't worry about it. You're, you're going to have to replace your plastic in three or four, I mean, in four or five years and just, you know, get, the, get it later. Um, Okay, the floating row cover, I'm, I'm gonna have some pictures of floating row cover coming up, but basically it's a, it's a lightweight spun bonded fabric. It's not, it's not a woven fabric. And um, if, you're, you know, if you've ever used these dryer sheets in your dryer, that's what it is. So you just imagine that on a large scale, big, big sheets or rolls of it, yes. No, Lowe's will not carry those things. Um, there is a, well, um, there, there is a, a, a place online called FarmTech or GrowTech. It's two different names for the same company. You can, you can buy greenhouse plastic through them. I think they do floating row cover too. Yeah. Another place that FarmTech or GrowTech, it's two different, you know, if you go to either one, you, you'll end up basically on the same website. Um, uh, another place that we, we prefer to get from is Deerfield Supplies. They're a, a Mennonite, um, and there, there are a bunch of catalogs of theirs up in the... Um, yeah, in the in the uh, exhibit area, they they do they're not online because they're they're Mennonites, but um, they they have they tend to have cheaper prices than than other places. They're in southern Kentucky, um, just north of Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, they they're a good place for for a lot of different things. Um, in addition to that, my nephew, Jonathan, he is, is selling the floating row cover. If, if you're interested, you can talk to him up here. Um, yes. This, the plastic there, is that kind of the same type of plastic they use for like a hoop house? Yes. Yeah, same that's, place? it is. That's, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Uh, no, he's not selling plastic. Uh, he, he might start. <laughs> he's, he's starting to sell quite a few different things. But I'm, I'm not aware that he's selling plastic right now. All right. So talking about protection, you're, you're acquainted with the concept of climate zones. The USDA has, has divided the country into climate zones. And um, so we are... We live right here in climate zone seven. Um, basically, one layer of protection, that, that's one layer of either plastic or floating row cover, will, will move you about one and a half climate zones south. Okay? So if you put two layers on, um, you're down in southern Florida, you can go on vacation and <laughs> just 
crawl under your covers there and yeah. That would, that would bring you down into zone eight, kind of on the, the edge of seven and eight. Yeah. So that'd be good? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that will. Two colors for light and three for heavy frost. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, talk, I'm gonna talk about um, how, how we do the covers in just a minute. So. Yeah, you probably will not be able to, I mean, it, it is going to be different for you there than for us in Tennessee, but you can still do it. I mean, you're, you're still not, I should go back. You know, Elliot Coleman is, he's in zone five and on the coast of Maine. So, you know, he's growing through the winter. So you could, you would be pretty similar to him. So we, we like Elliot Coleman's minimalist style. And, and what he recommends is, is using a single layer of plastic, you know, like in a hoop house, and then using floating row cover inside the hoop house. Um, and so that's, we do a lot of that. But I, I will say that we, we grow a lot of our stuff outside. I mean, we grow almost all of our brassicas outside. And um, I mean, we've, we've done as much as half an acre of brassicas outside under floating row covers only. We, we do all our carrots outside um, and we do beets outside. Uh, yes? Um, I thought I had that in here somewhere. No, that's the plastic. Okay, the, the, the row covers we use are, are one ounce. It's a medium weight. They, they, they'll call it one ounce. What that means is one ounce per square yard. And it, it allows about 75% light penetration. Now, I'll, I'll just tell you some, some, name, some brand names of different um, row covers. There's, there's Agrabon, um, uh, the name's slipping me on the, there's another common one that's used. Anyways, what, what we use is called GrowGuard. The, the, the factory is in Alabama and, and that's what Jonathan is selling, it's GrowGuard. So it's, um, one out, 75% light penetration. You can get it all different weights. You can, you can get, uh, you can also use floating row cover, the, a very lightweight floating row cover in the summer to, to protect your plants from insects. So, or intense sun, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, a, com, that's a, a common organic grower practice for, yes. Yes, yeah. We have, we have tried, we have tried um, lumber, <laughs> pipes, um, earth. You know, you can just heap earth on the edges. We've tried probably anything you can think about to, to hold down our floating row covers. Sandbags are the best thing by far. They're, I mean, they're, they're just so much easier to manage and, and use. Uh, if you're going to do it on any scale, I, I, I wouldn't recommend anything else. Yeah, you can you can do that, but it, you know, if you, if you're, you know, if if you have lots of, you need to have a sandbag that 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 has about 15 pounds of sand in it, and so if you have, yeah, if you if you have something lighter than that, um, it, it, the wind will, I mean, even even that 15 pounds when the wind gets over 30 miles an hour. You start, we start having trouble. <laughs> I'm gonna show you some pictures here, yeah. So um, just, this is, this is something very interesting that Elliot um, tells about in his book, um, Winter Harvest Manual. And um, 
So he's talking about under a double layer. This means you know, a single layer of plastic and then a floating row cover. Okay, so the outside temperature is 25. Under the floating row cover, it's, it's 31 to 32. This is, this is a, a nighttime temperature. You have to understand that in the hoop house and under the floating row covers, during the daytime, the temperatures are gonna go way up. But at nighttime, under a single layer of plastic, you're, you're only maybe two or three degrees warmer than outside. You're, you're, you're protected from the wind, which is very significant. Um, don't minimize that. The, the things, even you know, without any floating row cover, things in a hoop house grow so much nicer than outside. Uh, um, that's, that's just a fact. <laughs> it, it, and it's, it's really worth it to have that covering if you can do it. But um, the, the floating row cover adds a little more degrees of protection. So you have about six or seven degrees of protection with the two layers um, at that kind of a high temperature. At 15 degrees, it's 27 or 28 under the floating row cover. That's giving you 12 or 13 degrees of protection. At, at zero degrees, it's 25 under the floating row cover. You're getting 25 degrees of protection. You notice this, yeah. The, so it's it's not, you know, it's not just that you 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 only have X number of degrees of protection under the cover. As as the temperatures get lower, the the amount of protection increases. But I want you to notice also that your plants are freezing under there. Okay. <laughs> That's not a problem because we're growing plants that are, that are cold tolerant, okay? And so you can, you can come out in the morning and, and find all your crops are just frozen and it looks like you lost them. And it's, it's very disheartening until about 11 o'clock in the morning, you go back and look at them and everything's fine and perked up. And the, the, the disconcerting thing is if it's on a harvest day because <laughs> you, you cannot harvest frozen vegetables. <laughs> You know, unless, like, like I said, we, we harvested that broccoli and we put it straight in the freezer. But if you, if you harvest it and, and let it thaw, it, it's no good. So there, there are a few things that, that you can harvest. It, it seems that scallions, for example, you can harvest them frozen and they don't seem to be bothered. There, there are just a few things, but on the, as a general rule, you don't want to harvest them frozen. That's a, very good, that's a very good question. And yes, I, I, would, I would definitely try to do that as, as much as you can. Not just for the light, that, that is an important part of it, but, but also because your plants need airflow. Now, what's significant is that you do not want airflow when it's cold. And that's part of the reason for having the floating row cover over them. That's part of what it does is it reduces and minimizes that airflow. But when, when it's warm, your plants need airflow. And, and you'll, we've, we've, I've, I've noticed that if we leave our floating row covers on during the daytime, we start getting all kinds of disease problems. Um, so you want to take them off as much as you can during the day. And, and then put them on at night. We, we, we talk about tucking our plants in for the night. Yeah. I just do it at dusk. You know, as, as the light leaves the hoop house, try to put it on. Because the, the earlier, I mean, you don't want it to get, you, you want to try to capture the heat that, has, that, that you've gained during the day. You want to capture that under the row cover um, for the night, if you can. Pardon? No, if it's a if it's a cold but sunny day, I'd go ahead and take it off. Now, I, I mean, it depends. If it's a it's if it's a very very cold, <clears throat> like like in the teens or or less, you might want to leave it on even on a on a sunny day. Another thing is that, um, 
you know, even, even outside where, where we're growing with a single row cover like our brassicas, um, we, we'll put a second row cover on when it's going to be very cold. And I've, I've even done a third row cover like for my broccoli to, because I didn't want to lose it. <laughs> and, and that works, but, but you always want to take that second and third row cover off during the daytime. You can leave one floating row cover on all the time. I've done that a lot and it, that's fine. But, but the second or third floating row cover, um, if you leave those on all the time, you're actually going to have colder conditions underneath. And so they need to come off during the day and then go back on at night, only when it's needed at night. <clears throat> um, just a few things about um, hoop houses. Um, we, we prefer the Gothic shape, you know, the, this, this shape here than the, than the rounded shape. Um, it's, it's so much nicer to have straight sides. Uh, and, and then it shed, it'll shed snow a lot easier. Um, we, we like to do roll-up sides with a, with a bit of a, um, a wind break there. And, and it also keeps small animals from, from entering the hoop house rather than taking your roll-up sides all the way down to the ground. So I, I think that's, that's a significant thing. Um, you don't want to crowd your hoop houses too close together. Just keep in mind shadow, you know, because the hoop house will cast a shadow. We like to, um, you, you can run your hoop houses north and south or east and west, but we, we prefer um, running our hoop houses north and south because we, liked, we, we prefer to have beds running north and south. And the reason for that is that as, um, as the sun comes up and goes across the sky, you get light on both sides of your bed. If your beds are running east and west, you, you have light on the south side and the north side doesn't get light. And we've noticed that beds that, that run that way, um, we have more frost damage on the north side. So um, I think it's, it's, you know, you can, we have, we do actually have hoop houses that run both ways, but we, we run all of our beds north and south. It's just nicer to run them the whole length of the hoop house rather than across the hoop house. <clears throat> we do use movable hoop houses. Right, I think our time's up, so I'm just going to go quick here. If, you, if you're interested in movable hoop houses, you can talk to me or, or my brother. We, we've tried a lot of different designs and we have ideas on that. <laughs> um, that's talking about the different designs. These are, these are floating row covers in the field. Um, so you, you, can, you can use quick hoops. Are, are you familiar with the concept of quick hoops? You're, if you go down to your hardware store, you can get electric conduit in 10-foot lengths. You can get gray plastic PVC, or you can get um, metal. EMT uh, conduit. Um, you can use either one for these hoops. Uh, do not use white PVC pipe because it, it'll break down. The UV rays will break it down, but the gray um, PVC is UV resistant. Um, if, if you buy the metal, the metal pipes, you, you have to get a bender to bend them, and Johnny's sells benders. Um, and they have instructions on how to do that. Um, so these, these hoops will, will cover two 30-inch beds. We like to, to grow in 30-inch beds, and, and we, we put a one-foot walkway in between. That, that seems very tight, but <laughs> you get used to it after a while. <laughs> so we have, a, we have two beds in here with a one-foot walkway, and, and the hoop is spanning six feet, okay? And, and if you, so if you get a, um, 
the idea is that you, you put your hoop down into the ground about roughly a foot on each side, okay? You, you, you drive it into the ground. And, and so you have about eight feet of hoop on top of the ground. So if you buy a, a floating row cover that's 10 feet wide, that'll give you um, one foot on each side. So you have eight feet of floating row cover covering the hoop, and then one foot on each side for, the, for your sandbag anchors or whatever you're going to use as an anchor. Um, so you can see these are sandbags here. Um, uh, something to think about when you're getting sandbags, make sure that they're UV resistant. You know, that we bought a bunch of sandbags where the stitching was not UV resistant. That was real disappointing. <laughs> so you, you need to make sure that, um, you know, and I've had somebody tell me they, they tried using milk jugs. That doesn't work. And, and, you know, like Walmart shopping bags, that's not going to work. You know, they're, they're going to be got, done before your season's out. And, you know, you just don't, it's not worth messing around with things like that. Um, another, another if you're going to do these quick hoops on a large scale, like we're doing here, we found that, that we could um, take a, a 30 foot wide piece of floating row cover and, and we could cover four sets of hoops with it, okay? And that made covering and uncovering a lot easier. I'll, I'll just tell you, you can, you can grow a lot of stuff under a quick hoop and it's very cheap. Um, it's it's the, the cheapest entry level to, to winter growing. <laughs> um, it's about one-tenth the cost of a greenhouse, but it is very labor intensive. It, it's a lot of work. But um, you, you can reduce that labor by covering four hoops, four sets of hoops with one cover. What, I, what we found is that we did need to run sandbags down the center of it because um, the wind would, you know, if, if we just tried to take it straight across all four sets, the wind would get underneath too much. So what, what we do is we'll, we'll put a sandbag on every single hoop, okay? So you have a sandbag on every single hoop. And then down the center, I just ran a, did a sandbag every other hoop. It wasn't so important, but it, it just needed to hold it down. Yes? How far apart are you? They have that one-foot walkway in between them also. How far between the hoops? Oh, it's, it's about five feet. Yeah. And you, you don't want to end up getting your hoops more than six feet apart because then your, then your arch is, is not as, as steep and we've had snow collapse them, especially the plastic hoops. So if you're, if you're interested in, in doing the hoops, I'd encourage you to talk to me because there are a number of little details I can't, you know, I don't have time to say, but it, the, the little touches that, that make it a lot easier and, and more effective. Um, I, I've, you know, normally you'd want to pull the row cover off to harvest, but on, on cold, windy days, you don't want to do that. And I've, I've crawled down the hoop house, you know, harvesting and dragging a, a box behind me to put stuff in. One, one person can do it. I have done it by myself, but it, it, um, it, it takes longer than twice as, I mean, you know, a second person can make it less than half the time. You know, it, it, it's, it's worth it to have two people working on it. Snow on these quick hoops? I don't know. You know, Elliot Coleman uses them and he gets a lot of snow. Uh, like I said, we, we had them spaced a little further than six feet apart and, and we had some collapse. So, and that, that was with like maybe an inch and a half of wet snow. So in summary, we can grow our own fresh local produce through the winter. The basic technology is, is, is very simple and low cost. When Adam and Eve sinned, they saw that, that they were naked and then God clothed them with a covering of skin. 
taken from a lamb that represented his righteousness. That covering enabled them to grow in the winter of sin that had settled on the earth. Um, I really like this verse in Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt. For he has clothed me with garments of, right, of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Um, this is one, you know, this is one way we can we can um, reclaim the waste places. You know, the waste seasons. <laughs> we have we have seasons that are waste also, and you know, instead of using technology to preserve food for the winter, we can, we can actually use technology to, to grow food so we can have fresh food. And I'll tell you, we, we, have, we have reduced our, our canning by, by having fresh food. We, we, we basically grow, um, can tomatoes and applesauce and, and don't do hardly any other canning because we have all this fresh stuff available all winter long. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.